Hello and welcome to the Xbox World Strongcast number 18. Uh, it is Friday the 5th of October. I'm Xbox World Associate Editor Andy Hartup and I am joined today by Strongcast regular Mike Gepper. Hello. And Strongcast irregular Daniel Dawkins. Hello. So today, um, not an awful lot of news about the games of the news, so we're going to be talking a lot about what we've been playing because we've been playing a lot of games. But Lots of games. But just this morning, because we're recording this Strongcast the day before you listen to it, um, Mr. Cliff Blazinski from Epic Games, Cliffy B, uh, the man behind Gears of War, announced he, he's leaving Epic. Yeah. Uh, he's leaving for six months of, of tooling about in the countryside well, in his Ferrari. We don't know what he's, how long he's going to be away for. All he says is he's going to be away, which to me smells suspiciously like a no-compete contract that he's got going on, a little com- no-compete clause, which is going to stop him just jumping straight into another developer immediately. Mm-hmm. He's going to potter around, drive his Lamborghini about the place, hang out with his new wife, probably do some manly duties with his wife, and then return what? to the games industry in some form. Cutting the lawn. Yeah. Painting yeah, the paint, doors. Painting the doors and yeah. banging one of them nice picket fences in. Yeah. 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 It's going to be real nice. It's going to be a nice, nice little Sounds break awesome. for Clifford Blazinski. Yeah. But this is a guy who's, um, you know, he's hogged the limelight on that 360 since day one. Literally since day one, since before 360 was launched, there was Cliff with Gears of War. And it kind of uh, feels like the end of a generation for lots of reasons, because A, it is the end of the generation, because Cliff has uh, kind of defined Xbox in a certain way. Like the, the, the Gears of War attitude is very much the Xbox attitude. So now you've got this guy who's just left the company, and Epic's going to go on just fine with that, and they've got a lot of very smart people at Epic. Although it's notable that Rod Ferguson left quite recently as well to bugger off to Irrational. But what is, I think, particularly notable about this is that he's leaving just a couple of weeks after Adrian Schmielar's left People Can Fly over mm. in uh, Poland. Now, obviously, they're a long way apart, mm. but these guys have worked together in the past. It makes me wonder if maybe... Maybe Cliff's going to be collaborating with those guys yeah. once his no compete expires. Yeah, they um, f- for anyone who doesn't know them, but they uh, co-created uh, Bulletstorm together. Yeah, and um, Bulletstorm felt felt very Gears of War, and and I actually I interviewed both of them when I went and reviewed Bulletstorm, and yeah, they were proper buddies, like yeah. proper buddies in the interview room. There was Cliff with his big white teeth and. Adrian with his shiny head. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a really unfair rub of the green that is. I know. You get the teeth, I get the, the bald head. What? So, so but, then, but then Cliff gets to drive around North Carolina in a Lamborghini, whereas Adrian Schmielos gets to drive around Poland in a Lada. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> sure has got a really good I don't know, that's his car of choice. Yeah. We got, um, there, there was, well, the thing is, here's, here's what I, I kind of suspect is going to happen from this one. This is mm. just purely speculation on my part. Cliff ain't taking a step down at this point. He's not going to be employed no, by any. He's not. he's not going to be employed by anyone else. He's going to set up his own studio. And he is a smart guy. Yeah, he right. actually is. I mean, if, like, if if you meet this guy, you'll see. Like, you know, for all of his kind of dudish sort of a, like mm. attitude, he actually is a super smart, mm. super. I mean, this this guy broke into business when he was like sixteen. Yeah. He's a proper proper like bona fide. I was going oh, to. I hesitate to use a genius, but he's a he's a smart guy. Yeah, I, I would hesitate. He's not genius. But no, he's, he's a smart. Warren guy, a yeah. genius, but Cliff is a is a super smart guy, and I think for him the next big step is owning his own studio. So I wonder if maybe he's going to have this almost multinational studio where he's collaborating with a, a Polish team, 
He's working out of North Carolina. I mean, bear in mind, this is what Arcane are doing. They work out mm. of Texas and, I think, France? Yeah, France. Yeah, so you've got, like, a team. You've got two teams on both sides, you know, both, well, quarters of the world, each doing their own their own thing, but still collaborating and making, in their case, of course, one of the best games of the year. So I'm wondering if maybe the experiment, the Bulletstorm experiment, was so successful that Cliff was like, why don't we just make games this way the whole time? Mm. You know, the production talent in Poland is so good and so cheap like he could head up. He could head up that studio without ever leaving his home. So the Polish guys know their tech. They, they do they know their tech. No doubt. They all grew up on the. You know, it's, I think it was um, the Witcher guys mm. who said to me, like, if you were able to build a computer that could run Doom back in like '93 in Eastern Europe, then you damn sure knew what you were doing with a computer. You know, mm. if you were, if you could just put, if you just had the capability of putting that thing together of odds and ends, the stuff they had. Like, you had to know what you were doing. Now, Dan had another theory on what Cliffy B might do, which may, may be working with Kojima. I know it's a mad theory, but go on. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll explain that. First of all, I'll say what Mike says makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I think that there's, you know, that could be the case. And we don't know it to be a fact, but it could be the case. Now, my, my theory that started as a, like a maniac thought, but the more you think about it, it does actually have some roots in sense, is that, you know, hey, Cliffy B's leaving. We didn't see that coming. Uh, quite recently, uh, I think around about PAX time, he was pictured with Kojima. They were both tweeting about what broskies they were doing a big... Uh, yeah, they, they get on well, apparently. ...big FU finger together. And um, apparently Cliffy B was one of the first people who saw Kojima's new Fox Engine demo. And he was tweeting about how incredible it was and all this sort of thing. Now, that could just be two developers who respect each other showing off each other's work, which is completely plausible. Mm. Mm. Um, but as well, if you look at the fact that Kojima is starting a new Los Angeles-based Kojima production studio, he said at the Eurogamer Expo that studio will be working on a multiplayer Metal Gear title. It's Metal Gear Online, right? Yeah, Metal Gear Online and style title. who has more multiplayer experience than the guy who was working on Unreal Tournament for the best part of a, de- a decade and Gears of War for an- another half decade, you know? There is that logic. And you think Kojima really admires the West and he's always trying to bring those sensibilities. And in a way, Cliffy B is almost the figurehead of Western gaming and out of yeah. Xbox. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, the reverse attraction, I think, for Cliffy B, he's a guy who's really canny and really smart and he wouldn't be where he is without it. But as a result of the association through Gears of War, like Mike said, is perhaps fairly or not painted as like Mr. Beefcake. He's made this sort of slick. It's um, funny. He's always been distancing himself from sort of the dude bro kind of thing in Gears. He's always mm. saying like, well, you know, I really wish we, we were going for like a Predator vibe, but it's, it ends up a bit too dudeish. He's always like, he always said like, you know, in future, the future of Gears of War, I hope we can get away from that. He said, I want more women in the game. I want more, I want like less lump and do. So that came from the art department. That never came from me. And it's funny that he would distance himself from it so much, but let the game embrace it so wholly. It almost seems like the game was kind of speaking, it was just speaking with its own voice and Cliff was very much wanting to speak with his own, but the game became bigger than him. So what was he, he doing? He couldn't turn the tank around then, could no. he? And, and, I, and I think that there's a lot to be said then for he's probably seeking a degree of sort of validation amongst the gaming public to sort of say, he is a really smart guy. Mm. And is there any better way to do that than, for example, to head up LA Productions? Kojima said, again, at Eurogamer Expo, he's ultimately looking for someone to pass the baton of the Metal Gear franchise on to. Now... That is one of the most prestigious tickets in all of gaming. Yeah. And certainly if you're looking to prove yourself as an intellect, 
Metal Gear is one of the flag, you know, flagship franchises, if not the flagship franchise. Yeah. So there's a there's a good synergy in that, as in they both get what they want from each other. Mm. Now it's based purely on that logic, mm. uh, and there's a video that did the rounds around about the time of PAX of a very drunken uh, Cliffy B with Karch. And he's just there going, Kojima. And he's all like, he's, this guy's great. And talks about how much he inspired him and all this sort of stuff. So there is obviously a healthy There's respect. Between definitely them. a connection there. And I, I wonder if Cliff would want to take on someone else's franchise or spawn one of his own, you know, if he wants to start from scratch and do something entirely of his own, or if he would be happy being the Western boss of Kojima Productions. I mean, if Kojima Productions are expanding into the West, which they are, they definitely need like a decent person to run it. You know, they definitely need a strong Western voice to run it. And there's plenty of guys in America right now who could do that job, but few better than Cliff, mm. I think. It's such a good, it would be such a profile capture and be so significant for so many reasons. And I think, plus, if you look at MGS Ground Zeroes as perhaps Kojima's tying up the knots in the Metal Gear canon today, yeah. it leaves your, your slate clear for a Metal Gear Solid 5 set possibly even after Metal Gear Solid 4, where there's a relatively clear run of what you could do with it. The funny thing with this uh, West Coast studio that they're opening up for Kojima Productions is Kojima has had nothing but respect for Western developers for a long time. He's been visiting a lot of these guys. You know, He's been mm. going around visiting Infinity Ward, for instance. Mm. And it makes you wonder, when this studio opens up, how much talent from the West Coast are they going to swallow? There's a lot of, I mean, if you if you follow the line and you've got Infinity Ward, you've got Treyarch, you've got EALA, you've got uh you got them run out of um, you got Bungie up in Seattle, you've got Valve up in Seattle, you've got all of these studios on the West Coast, Respawn, you've got all of these studios and they've got so much talent. I wonder how much Kojima Productions, what, what how much of a draw is that gonna be? And how much how many guys that when Kojima was at visiting Infinity was saying, Yeah, maybe that guy. Maybe this guy, maybe that guy. And he's looking around. He's like, he basically had like, you know, three or four years to scout out all of these West Coast studios. Every time he was in town, he would do these studio tours. Mm-hmm. Makes you wonder who, who he would want to be in that studio. And I wonder, like, certainly amongst journalists, like Kojima's a journalist darling, but whether, I wonder if he's in the same respect a developer's developer. I guess by virtue of the fact that he made Metal Gear Solid and most people mm. who study game design would have looked at Metal Gear Solid or Metal Gear Solid 3 and gone, wow, what an incredible piece of design. Well, you know what? The funny thing is when I ask developers about Kojima stuff, they always go back to Snatcher. They all, everyone loves Snatcher. They all think Snatcher's the best, the best thing. Mm. And it's like the respect for Kojima goes way back. You know, it goes back to before Metal Gear. It's like Metal Gear Solid, certainly. He's, um, yeah, he's definitely a respected figure here in the West, particularly in Japan. In Japan, you ask any developer, who do you respect? Kojima, no question. And they always give the same reasons. It's because he's so detail-oriented. He's obsessed with details. He's the guy who will lean over someone's shoulder and say that your that gun reloads by three hundredths of a second too fast. You know, this gun isn't spitting out enough bullets fast enough. He's that guy. He's the guy who will sit there and say, move that rock three inches to the left. You know, he's that guy. And studios need guys like that, particularly in Japan, where to get the confidence of your employer and employees, you need to be like a force of nature. You need to be this forceful, dominant character. I think the biggest problem Capcom have right now, look at the scores on Resident Evil 6 right now. They're all over the shop. Our reviewer liked it. A lot of reviewers didn't. The big problem that Capcom have right now is that they don't have any leads. They have no one in charge. 
The only like powerful voice who commands any respect they got is Yoshinoriano. And to be honest, the way he talks doesn't sound like he commands much respect at all. He has to fight for every decision he makes within Capcom. But back in the days when Hideki Kamaya in Clover, when it was Shinji Mikami working at Capcom, a man who has enough clout to go to his bosses at Capcom and say, we're going to scrap Resident Evil 4 and we're going to start again from scratch and do that twice? Mm. Like, who has the clout to do that in the Japanese business? Whereas a bunch of them at Platinum Games uh, at Capcom, there's none. They haven't got any left anymore. But Kojima Productions has that one guy, that guy at the top, who can say, Metal Gear Rising isn't working out. We've been developing it for three years. I'm saying I'm sending it elsewhere. I'm sending it to Osaka so Platinum Games can develop it. Like that's how much clout Kojima has. He's the guy who can hold up production for an entire day, an entire week to move a rock, to move uh, the way a place an enemy spawns. He's that guy, and voices like that are so rare in the industry. I think that commands respect. I think all it is, I could see Kojima passing it on as like the all tours button to go. There it is. And whilst I agree with you, I think fundamentally Cliffy B would want to do his own thing. It's a bit like when people ask Christopher Nolan would you be interested in directing a Bond film? He's, because of the prestige attached, yeah. even though he can go out and do anything he wants and get anything done on his own, yeah. there's something about that franchise where you've sort of got to go, I could never I could never rule it out. Yeah. And I'd say the same with Metal Gear. It's got a similar feeling within the games world. So do you think, just sort of playing devil's advocate, do you think Cliffy B and Kojima might clash personality-wise when they're working? I mean, I know they can go and fist bump at game shows, but... Cliffy B is a strong personality, and creatively, he um, he has his ideas. And I the way imagine he works he quite... is very different to how the Japanese developers work. Well, very different. In that case, would that create some sort of culture clash? I've got absolutely no idea. Mm. Like I, I to start, I don't know Kojima in any personal capacity beyond interviewing him several mm. times and find him really polite and engaging. Uh, in an interview with the press, where he's supposed to be like that. Maybe he's an absolute bastard to work for. I mean, it's completely possible. I mean, because to be that obsessive about detail, you've got to upset people. Yeah, of course. You, you have to. Um, I was talking to the guys at, uh, at Kojima Productions for next month's cover story. And there's only so much I can say about that trip right now. But I can say that they said when Hideo Kojima said, we're moving this game to Platinum, everyone was unhappy. So they said the whole studio was just crushed. And this is a guy who was able to just roll into a studio and just crush his entire staff and just say, no, you're not doing a good enough job. Got to send it elsewhere. That's the kind of boss he is, you know. That's, that's a scary boss, but it's also a guy who can get things made. Bear in mind, his job on Castlevania, he was executive producer. What does that actually mean? Well, what it actually meant was he got the thing made. At Konami in Japan, they were like, ooh, don't know about this. But Kojima was the man who kept on saying, no, it's, it's good, we'll keep push it it's going it's getting, it's getting made we're going to make it we're going to make it we're going to make it and he's just had is his job just to basically be the ambassador for that game in konami japan he, he, i mean he did get involved from what mm. i understood he was doing things like they looked at the hero design and they exaggerated it and they said to do certain things with the animation to make it feel more in tune but who cares about that but, you know yeah That's, this, these are small things this isn't this isn't hardcore well, game design. yeah there's small things that can make a big difference to the perception mm. of the game and what but what his stamp gave it was you know like uh they do all the time with films they go from the production team that brought you yeah. Saw well, look at the cruddy cl- horror film six. Look know. at the Cloud Atlas. The Cloud Atlas right now is being advertised as from the makers of the Matrix, but also the director of um, oh, what's the what did he, the guy direct? Who was it? The director of the Cloud. The, the director the Cloud Atlas directed. It doesn't matter. But it's being the, the top billing is from the mm. producers of the Matrix. It's like you know the Wachowskis really don't have a lot a lot of involvement beyond the production level. Like it's, it's the director's vision that's on screen. 
But still, The Matrix is the bigger movie. So, yeah, I, th- I think essentially what Kojima would like to do, and he's wanted to do for a while, is to hand on control oh, to someone. He, 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 he knows he has to because he's 50. Games take three or four years a game, if not longer. He'll he's be only got a couple of games. He'll be making games when he's 80 years old. But I mean, he, at the moment, it looks like he's going to go until his 70s. Um, yeah. you know, he's so a force I, of nature. He's unstoppable. Yeah, you don't know. But at the same time, I think he's aware that maybe because his time is finite, he might have only, say, 10 to 20 years to do his biz, right? He might want to go on to other projects and think, these are my last few projects. They're going to be making snake games forever. Mm. I've safely passed the bat on on to Clifford B or whoever it will be. And then he can, you know, and he probably will sit in the background boiling with rage and wanting to get involved. But yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see him handing the bat on to anyone, to be honest. But what I do see him doing is being, maybe you, say, maybe you could do say to Cliffy B, you know what? Cliff Blazinski, sorry, he hates being called Cliffy B these days. So he says to Cliff, he says, well, you know what? I want you to make a Metal Gear Online game for me. Cliff says, well, you know, I'd, rather, I'd actually quite like to make my own game. He says, well, fine. You make Metal Gear Online, and then the next game from that studio will be whatever you want, and I can get it produced. Which is true, he can. But then Cliff could get any game produced anywhere in the world right mm-hmm. now. He could go to any studio, yeah, any publisher, yeah, yeah. and they'll throw. Oh, they'll give him the $40 million it costs to make his game. Defo. Like, you know, that's the clout Cliffy B's got. If, if you have a guy with the amount of clout that Cliff has over here, amount of clout Kojima's got in Japan, you put those two guys together, what do you do with that much power, you know? Well, you can get anything made at that point. Do you really just want to make another Metal Gear? I don't know. It seems, seems a bit conservative. It depends on whether he's an employee of Capcom, technically, and that will be his job. Konami, you mean? Yeah, yeah. In- I'll tell you what. Um, Konami, sorry. Yeah. Snake said something. Yeah. Not Snake. Hideo Kojima yeah. said something interesting to you the other day. Uh, he said about you couldn't make a snake that was younger, a snake game about a snake who was younger than him, right? Yeah. yeah. What an interesting thing. Yeah. That's got, I mean, I won't, go, I won't go into it, but that's got all sorts of implications for Ground Zeroes. Yeah. Hideo Kojima was 50. Mm. 50. So that means the next, you know, in a few years, you'll be playing a snake in his 60s. Mm. Like, but you know what? Sam Fisher's been 50 for ages, except now he's. Like 22. Oh, he yeah. keeps de-aging. Oh, God, he's like bloody Magneto, that, that guy. Sucking from the fountain of youth. Do you see my strong comic book reference then? Yes. Magneto. Magneto's been de-aged like a bunch of times. Yeah. So Snake. <laughs> so Sam Fisher. Hey, Snake gets aged. Sam Fisher gets de-aged. He's been de-voiced as well. Yeah, he has been. Which is And, uh, and de-bored. Yeah. yeah. I saw um, completely off to a different tangent. I watched Looper last night. Mm. It was no good. But what made it interesting, what this is, there is, there is a link here. Um, in that, you've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing young Bruce Willis, but young, old Bruce Willis is not playing young Joseph Gordon-Levitt, even a little bit. Bruce turned up on set and was like, no way I'm playing Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So they had to stick all this rubber shit on Joseph Gordon-Levitt's face, change the shape of his nose and everything. And to be fair, he does look a bit like, a little bit like a young Bruce Willis. But... There we go. That's that. He looks. Uh, to be honest, to be fair, he creeped me out the entire film because he he's got this rubber face, but his eyebrows are too perfect and his lips are super red, so he looks kind of like a Dick Tracy villain. The entire movie. Right. Film was crap. By the film was Kojima. I expect the de- aging and de aging of the the yeah. snake and so on. And, and of course, that's what he just brought it to mind. Cool. So when you've not been watching you guys films just that you hate... Me, you just left me out on a ledge there. Yeah, <laughs> I'd slammed the window. Yeah. So I, was, I was just hanging and you guys Bye. were like, yeah. just off to have a cup of tea. Um, so when you haven't been playing... Uh, when you haven't been watching films that you hate, you've been playing some games, right? 
Yeah. We've been playing some games. That makes a change. Which, which means that this, uh, this podcast's um, what we've been playing section is going to be longer than like three minutes, which yeah. is um, it's always a good thing. Well, for the last few months, there have been no games to play. What have yeah. you been playing? Nothing, because there's nothing to play. Yeah. been playing some old game that came out three years ago. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Playing Assassin's Creed 2. Yeah. So, uh, what have we been playing? Um, I guess I'll kick this off. And I think I'm allowed to say that I've been playing Dishonored. Yeah, but you've also been playing your favourite game in the world, right? I have, yeah, but I I worry when I talk about NBA 2K, it bores everyone. Everybody knows how much you like NBA 2K. Everybody knows how much you like it. I've been playing that, but um, and I will talk about it maybe a bit, but I will talk briefly about Dishonored because I believe I probably... I could probably talk about it without breaking too many embargoes. Um, you know, we've got um, a question, actually. Uh, Andy Monahan asked, uh, you know, you've been really hyping up Dishonored. Just how mm. good is it? How good is um, it, Andy? How good is it? I don't think we'll, embarrass, we'll be embarrassed to say what we said on last issue's cover. That was the game of the year. Well, yes, it was the game of the year, yeah. Mm. I, I, certainly don't, I certainly don't think we got it, got it that wrong. Uh, I've, I've only played a few hours of it, um, which journalists have played before. They've been allowed to play the first couple of hours. And um, yeah, really enjoying it. It's uh, it's a game you need to sort of sit back and you take a bit of time to learn when you first play it. And I think um, one of the things for me as well, I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to stealth games, like a, a proper perfectionist. So um, the, I've, I've only really done the first proper level. This is an, an intro bit. Mm-hmm. To the first proper level. And, um, and the levels are kind of like hub hub like structures, aren't they? So they you get you get dumped into a level, and you've got okay. I could go in through the sewer. I could go around this mm-hmm. to the left. I could go over these rooftops. I could talk to this guy, maybe like chat him up, and we'll sneak Maybe through here. There's more than one hub as well in the game. Right. There's like several hubs, and you go back and forth between the within one set of objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I keep sort of saving and, and reloading every time someone spots me. So it took me like two hours to do the first bit, that's even old, though it should have probably taken me like thirty minutes if I'd good, have just man. accepted it. That's good. That's old. Uh, that's old Metal Gear Solid rules, you know. Yeah. Not Metal Gear Solid. Sorry, that's, that's, that's the worst of the Splinter Cell well. rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where you, you quick save, get seen. All right, quick load, mm-hmm. get seen, yeah. quick load. Get I can't seen, stand it. I sort load. of feel like I failed if I've been seen. So um, yeah, I, I think I think that's probably as much as I can say about Dishonored. But there were, there is a review in the next issue. Yeah, um, we have been hyping it a lot. Um, I but you know, not think... hyping it without reason. It wasn't no, like we were no, hyping I... it because someone said like this is this is the hot game. To be honest, when we picked up on this game a year ago, nobody mm. gave a damn about it. And Xbox World did a, a big feature on this game. God, what was it August last year, September mm-hmm. last year? Mm-hmm. We kind of backed this all the way because we saw something real special in it, yeah. and they've delivered on what we saw. Yeah, these these are not these aren't hollow boasts that we've been uh, that we've been making. No. Were, yeah, we called it. So basically, we're right. Yeah, yeah. We told you so. There's no sweet. There's no sweeter words in the English language than "we told you so." No yeah. one like no no one likes anything more than being told "I told you so" yeah. by some magnanimous overlord. <laughs> just feels good. To, just feels good to say. Nothing. Nothing yeah. rolls off the tongue better. It's like, well, told you so. Told you so. So um, the other thing I've been splitting my time playing is yes, NBA Two K Thirteen. Yeah. You know what? Uh, we can I, I, I can it... I can make this conversation interesting. Go on then. Because I've been playing NHL Two K Thirteen. It's just NHL Thirteen on. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Because because they stopped doing their hockey games. It's an EA Sadly, game. they did. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real shame. They should have kept doing their hockey games because 
NBA 2K is the presentation is insane. Mm. The, I've ne- I, it's literally one of the best looking games I've ever seen. Uh, with like, a, you can put a full stop at the end of that. This generation, there are only probably one or two games that are as good looking as that NBA game. For my money, the hockey game feels more like hockey than NBA feels like basketball. Mm. And of course, I'm speaking from a perspective of like what it's like in my head rather than what it would mm. actually be like to play. But you know, you'll know this. You play football games, Dan. Like, you don't know what it is to be a Premiership footballer. But you can say that the game kind of makes you feel like you're a premiership footballer on that occasion. You know, you can say, God, is it, in, in my, imagine what this might be like. Does it? There's a difference between um, capturing the spirit or essence of an activity or sport and actually being a realistic simulation. Because mm. mm. a realistic simulation includes lots of very dull things that mentally you gloss over. Where a, a, car, a good, good cartoon exaggeration, this is what old pro evolution soccer used to be good at, was capturing the sense of unpredictability in a football match and the ebbs and the flows and the momentum. And, you know, that sense of, oh, I can't believe it. The 90th minute, the computer gets one shot, he scored. Ah! Mm. That kind of thing. And that's what it captured. It wasn't realistic Mm. per se, but it captured realistic, genuine emotion. Mm. Um, I don't know if that adds anything or not. No, I I think it probably does. And I, I I think they have been, like... They they've really really worked on that this year because like two K twelve, you could tell what was going on. Like you could tell like when the computer wanted you to lose, you would lose. Like there was very little you could do about it. And you know something that, that know, was that, that was what we used to call back in the day the Pez gods because yeah. that was another thing Pez used to do. Just one day you'd fire up the game and the game would be like, yeah, you're mm. going to lose today. And the other thing was it, it told you certain players were different. Like you know someone someone like Kobe Bryant who everyone knows. It, it told you it was different because he would make his shots all the time and he would do certain types of shot, mm. like the shots he would do in real life. So in that sense, it was quite a realistic simulation. But but this year, the way that they've they've been really really clever with the way that they've the, the way that they built the game, um, thanks to a, a couple of things. Like one one really obvious thing is they've redone the animations. They've got so many so many animations. It's unbelievable. These guys yeah. look like real guys mm. moving around court. If you stand back, squint a little bit, it just looks like a real game. So, so it looks more like it does on the television. And you've got bespoke animations for each player, right? The keep no, for not, not pl- bespoke, for, but for some for some certain players, players yeah. they've got their own custom animations. Yeah, yeah, they've got their own sort of the way that they dangle, the way they lay up, or you know, if they do a specific sort of fadeaway shot, that is they they have captured that. But deeper than that, uh, and this is something that feeds into like your create your created player when you make one. They've done like you've got your attributes, which is sort of like standard attributes that you would that you'd have in the past game. But what they've done is they've augmented that with something called signature skills, which allows them to break certain players. So, you know, if if a player plays, um, you know, if a player's like a a big centre, you expect him to sort of stand there, rebound, be a bit slow, be good at blocking shots, something like that. But there are certain players within the NBA who play in that position but have actually got a brilliant mid-range game or they can shoot from three-point or they behave differently. So these signature skills, when applied to players with certain attributes, allow them to behave realistically mm-hmm. like these other, like, the, like their real-life counterparts in, in, in real NBA. life, they're 
cheap players. So, so it's, yeah, it's yeah, like, they are cheap. So players. basically, because these guys are superhumans, right? Yeah. I mean, abs- so every now and again they'll do something you're like that defies logic. That defies, yeah. That man should not be able to do that yeah. thing. Yeah. So these are the perks that let you do that. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. They 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 break the rules of of what their their position should be in the same way as the real life players. You know, when when they break the rules of what they should be able to do, or what they're you know supposed to be able to do, it does it in the same way. So that gives it an extra sort of, it gives it that layer of realism that, you know, it's a fairly simple idea, but no one else has really sort of done. And, and that makes a huge difference since, since last year's game. And mm. I, think, I think for me, that's, that's one of the biggest things. And then, you know, they fixed a load of stuff that everyone complained about. And, you know, the presentation's brilliant. And, you know, one of the, one of the nice little things they, they do now is when you create a little player and you've got your career mode going. And after every game, you get interviewed by the press. And they sort of, you know, they needle you. Do you or, get to pick your responses. Yes, you pick right. your responses. Do you really? Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's something I've wanted from a football game for and years. It's what it's is it? It's what a Formula it, One game as well. Yeah. What does it affect? Well, it affects. Well, if you slag off your teammates, it affects your team chemistry. And if you start slagging off your teammates, they won't pass you the ball when you're playing because you're only you locked to one character in the my career mm, mode. Mm, mm. Um, if you sort of. If you blame it on, like, if, if you have a good game and you say, yeah, that was all me, your fans will go, oh, okay, yeah, that's great, and you'll increase your fan base. But one thing that happens now, which didn't happen last year, which I absolutely love, is because the commentary in the game is so good, honestly, honestly, I know how they do it technically, but mm. you do sometimes think, how on earth could you have known that? Like, they talk about your... Sometimes they'll just randomly talk about your press conference, like what you said in the previous game. Mm, amazing. And they'll say, oh, yeah, well, he was saying this. And, like, af- after one game, I um, I basically... I, th- I think I... Um, I said I had a, I had a bad game, but I blamed the team and the coach and said, you know, if I'd have been coaching, I'd have done it differently. And, mm. you know, I properly sort of bigged myself up and said, you know, basically it was everyone else's fault. And the the commentators were like discussing me because there's two of them, and they were saying, "Oh yeah, well he seems to think he could have done a better job," and and they were going, "Oh yeah, well why not why not let him coach the team? Why not let him play the game on his own?" And they were laughing at me. Yeah, and it was you were a big ego. Yeah, I thought, oh, that that is really good, but I didn't See, like being laughed at. In comparison, in the NHL game, I've played probably four games in, in two days. And in all four of those games, I've heard the same line of dialogue. Oh really? Because uh, regarding the goalkeeper, they say, "Well, you know, is." Uh, you know, saving goals is his, uh, is his life, and he's living it right now. Oh, it just no. keeps on coming up over and over <laughs> again. It's like I'm sure there's every other line keeps been coming up over and over again as well, but that one really stands out. Yeah. You know, the presentation in uh, NBA is is so good, and EA's games could really learn a lot from NBA 2K12, uh, 13, sorry, because it, it makes those games, makes all of EA sports games look like the antiques they are. It makes them look old-fashioned. That's how far ahead of them it is. But what EA is still really, really good at controls. They're still really, mm. really good at... I mean, Madden, FIFA, NHL, all these games control so well. Mm. And the thing with NHL is, you they, a few years ago, they changed to the trick stick controls. Now, I haven't played an NHL game since probably 1996. Would have been, oh, no, be earlier, 95 on the Mega Drive. And I had to be kind of convinced to try it again. I figured, you know what, it's, it's got to be too complicated by now. Because you play FIFA and the button combinations are just insane. And admittedly, you only need to use the four face buttons mm-hmm. and the run button if you really want. But you're going to get done by someone who knows all of the controls. You've got to get something for someone who knows all the combinations. And 
can just nail that lofted through ball and just like drop it right on the right guy and then do the low cross into the box. He's going he's gonna to kill you because you don't know that triple tapping the pass button at the edge of the box will put it into the guy, you know, do a low pass, that kind of thing. But the thing about NHL is that for all the complexity they added over the years, a few years ago they were just like, yeah, enough now, let's make it simpler. Mm. And so you just put everything on the right stick. You've got pass and change character on the right trigger. You've got the right stick for almost everything else. You've got a poke check on uh, the right bumper. But otherwise, you're just you're moving this puck around with uh, your right stick and you're moving your character around with the left stick. And after that, it's just a case of getting it in the goal. It's really that simple. So you, it's kind of like skate. You're, you're pulling back on the stick and then thwacking it forward to get a really good shot. You aim where, as you're, as you're drawing back, you sort of aim with the left stick where you want it to go in the goal. Very intuitive. And you never feel like, oh, the game didn't want me to score at that point because you're picking exactly where that puck goes mm. and exactly how hard it goes at any point. You know, in FIFA, you'll take a shot and you'll be like, oh, that's really not where I was aiming. That's not Because, you know, you took a shot a little bit too early because you know, he was wrong-footed and the ball went a bit astray. Well, in this game, the puck never goes astray. It's exactly where you want it to be. As long as you're lined up right, as long as you're exactly where you need to be, you're putting it with absolute precision every single time with the exact amount of force you want to apply. And that makes this really dynamic game. It's like if, if hockey didn't exist, you would have to invent it so you could make a video game of it. It's like the perfect video game sport. Like speedball. It's, it's just perfect, exactly. It's, like, it's just perfect. Because it's a game about all-out attack. You're always attacking. You know, in a game of FIFA, FIFA's a great game, I really like FIFA, but in FIFA, you do get these moments where you know, you're passing the ball around the back three guys and you're, just, you're hanging on to it. There's no room for that in hockey. You don't have enough space on the rink. You don't have enough time because there's a guy running at you at 100 miles an hour and he's skating he's building up speed and when he gets to you he's not just going to take the puck off you he's going to body check you so hard it's going to break your man it's going to smash him it's going to destroy this guy he's going to be on his knees for the next 10 seconds and that's a big that's a lot of time when in 10 seconds you can take the puck from one end of the ice to the other it's a super exciting sports game it's exciting in a, a way i haven't played for a long long time Really, really like NHL. I never thought I would. But I like it for the exact same reasons I liked it back in 94. Now, we'll come back to you in a minute, Mike, because you've been playing other games. Yeah. But, Dan, can you tell us like quickly about like the football games that you've been playing? It's the sports hour, right? Because, well, yeah, I, I, th I think it's a nice little theme. Yeah, I think we should do this triangle. And I, I think it's only fair to talk about Pez a little bit. Because, oh, dear. I feel well, like... Be because... Because it's good this year, isn't it? Your, yeah, twi it your is Twitter good. feed's been the official Pez Twitter feed for the last, uh, <laughs> the last week. Talk about Pez. Decade. Honestly, well, I've been so self-indulgent and talked about NBA. Just feel free to put I will, I will talk about it. I feel a bit like talking about Pez on Xbox is like Andrew Mitchell being wheeled out at the trade union conference or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's not a big game on Xbox. It's not especially a big game on PlayStation anymore. Mm. But the truth is because, yeah, FIFA is, and it has continued to be, very, very good. It's got all the authentic licenses. It's really well connected. It's got great, you know, all that stuff online. It's fantastic. But irrespective, as a pure piece of game design, PES this year is absolutely impeccable. Um, better? Better than FIFA. Better than FIFA. Different, I think, and in some ways better. It does certain things more satisfyingly, and I think it's a very precise... You know, in the same way you look at... So this is the crudest analogy I could draw. You look at certain beat-em-ups and you'd go, Dead or Alive is a really fun game and I can get why that's a more accessible game. But 
everyone understands that, you know, let's say Street Fighter is a better game because the depth and precision of its tools or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Now, you could crudely apply that analogy to Pez and FIFA. Right. Now, that's, that's being slightly harsh on FIFA because it is, in fact, a very deep, complex game with a very intricate skill set. But Pez does it with this kind of Japanese ethos of precision timing and button intric- button intricacy that only the Japanese do really well. Mm. So loads of the skill moves, for example, are based on uh, right stick timing-based movements like you would in a beat-em-up. Mm. So, for example, one simple new move is that as you move, press left stick to move forwards, there's a move where you just let go of the left stick briefly, quickly flick up the right stick, and then snap back to the left. And what it does is the guy does like a side foot roll to shift the ball sort of 90 degrees parallel to beat the man, but he does mm-hmm. it all at pace. Now, that's a very simple thing in theory, but the timing of it is absolutely precise. So to do what looks like a seamless side roll around a man in motion, it's like right stick, right stick, right stick. He's coming in. Is he in close enough yet? No, he's not. Now, right stick up left, right, and you you passed him. But you can get it wrong so easily. Mm. So when you do beat a man, the skill makes you flush with pride because you go, the timing I, I, I implemented there was absolutely immaculate. And that's important for a football game because football's not like basketball. Like in in NBA 2K13, Andy's going to get a little pat on the back every 15 seconds because he's going to be dunking or you know shooting from the edge, like the edge of the mm. D there. And you're constantly scoring. You're constantly getting that little pat on the back. But football's not a game where you could finish an entire game and have no goals on the thing. But as Easy, long as you yeah. can get that satisfaction of having just done that guy, you know that constant that constant feedback from the game. And you're right, Japanese developers. If like there's one thing they're really good at, it's feedback, making you feel like you've really done something when it's actually something absolutely tiny. It's something that actually, um, I'm trying to think his name, Danny Isaac, who was involved with the FIFA franchise in the early 2000s, uh, when they first started to take FIFA seriously, when it wasn't just being made by hockey men, and they started to get a British and European development team. And he went over there, and one of his first jobs was to make it properly Western or or Mm. Europeanified FIFA. Mm. And something he'd said to me at the time was, you know, I'd said, why do you think uh, Pez is so successful? And he said, well, the thing with Pez you have to understand is it's, it's a series of high-speed uh, Street Fighter-style 2D battles mm. that happen repeatedly all over the pitch, subject to very precise mechanisms and timings. And it's exactly that. So you're constantly getting these, like Mike says, little feedback loops, which mm. might ultimately result in no goal and a game that looks like it's been boring, as in nil-nil. But all over the pitch, there's these little match-ups. And between good players, you get this multi-tiering approach where a good player will know what another good player will do and pre-anticipate the good player's move with a clever blocking move, then the, the good player who's attacking will have to go, I know he's a good player, like me, and he knows he thinks I'll do that. So what I'll do is this, because mm. he won't expect that. But the other guy will go, but he might do something else, so I've got to allow for that possibility. And it's that's that what, huge That's exactly what game. Street Fire is. That's exactly mm. what... In any given situation, you look at the, the, the arena and you go, OK, from here he can do one of four things... There's probably a, a 60% chance he's going to do this particular thing, 10% this, 5% this. Mm, mm. And you, you start doing that, and you, so you prepare. But you can only gamble, you always have to gamble on one of the things. This is what makes great fighting games. For them to have enough options that you, as the defender, have to gamble on what they're going to do. And at that point, it becomes about, A, a little bit of guesswork, 
but B, mostly about reading the player. What has he done up to that point? How has he been reacting when he's been under this kind of pressure, that kind of pressure? When he's aggressive, does he go for big showy moves? Does he go for something else? So you start reading the player, and that's why good fighting games are more about playing the player than playing the character you're playing. And yeah, I can see how that the same would be true for a football game. I can see that because it's slow enough that you get to make those decisions. You don't really have the time to do it in a basketball game or a hockey game. But a football game is a big enough space you've got to move that ball around in. There's space to have those little battles between two guys. Yeah, you're constantly little battles between attacker and defender and it, mm. it creates that way. So basically, Pez this year, as I say, controls fantastically. Uh, I think it is welcoming for FIFA fans. I think if you play it, the only thing that will put you off is the licensing. Because if, if you're looking for licensing off the bat, obviously FIFA's got you covered. Mm. PES hasn't got all the licenses, but it's certainly easy enough to fix with editing and patching and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, the patching's easy on PS3. It's a lot trickier on yeah, Xbox, tricky. I, think, I believe it's possible, but it's a lot trickier. Yeah. So I can see why that's more of a thing. It's one of the things I think that's made uh, PES a more successful franchise on PlayStation. The open save files that PlayStation has means you, you can... You can take an edited file that someone else has made, just share it around the internet. You know, I remember back in the day we used to play Pez, and on the forum I was on, what you do is you'd send your memory card to one of your friends on there. He would copy his save file onto your memory mm. card, and yeah. send mm. it back to you, and it was like pass it on, pass it on, and that's how everybody ended up with like authentic kits and authentic player names. You know, uh, that's way easier in the age of the internet because, the, well, not the age of the internet, but the age of um, consoles that have more open save systems. It used to be, of course, you needed like a PlayStation card reader, which was a real tricky oh, bit of yeah, kit. It's now it's just a yeah. USB stick, you know? Yeah. Uh, except on Xbox, where it's still very much tied to your profile, it makes it a lot trickier. Mm. I don't know if they're, if Konami have made it easier this season. I think that's something that has to be a priority if they want PES to be big on Xbox again. They've got to make sure that it's easy for people to trade save files. So just as a quick insight on it, um, I won't talk any more about my opinion, but I've been sharing emails with uh, Ben Griffin, who works with us. Mm. And um, he's an absolute FIFA diehard. And he's been playing it for years and years. Whilst he really rates this year's FIFA, he's, he conceded, he said, the thing is, in a way, it's like last year's FIFA. It's very, very similar experience. And I just want to try something new this year, so I am going to try PES. And he's been emailing me back and forth. And he's got loads of gripes because he's finding it hard to adjust and mm. certain things he's used to doing. And he was like, because why can't I break past a man in pairs? Everyone's the same speed. It's impossible. Then I've got to explain that, you know, hey, it's, it's about the battle is in the pre-anticipation and you've got to get the guy off balance and buy your moment to burst away with your pace. And this is similar to an extent in FIFA, but maybe it's harsher in Pez. Mm. Then I said, you, know, you do know these button presses, right? And he was like, what? <laughs> I've got to triple tap R1 or hold R1 and R2 whilst holding left stick at a diagonal to right direction of motion. And he's like, that's mind-blowing. So then he's, he's, he's taking that away and taking that back into his game. And, but what he said already is, you know, he said the passing in Pez, because they've got a full manual passing option now. He said it's super snappy and, you know, really exciting and he says the variety of goals you score in pairs is unrivaled he says with fifa you get patterns of goal scoring mm. he says basically with with pairs that was always true though as yeah, well i mean he's even, never scored even, the same even goal. back in the day that was true like pez was always the the movie goals game all the goals are these like just banging movie goals you know escape to victory style goals <laughs> mm. and whereas fifa is kind of more conservative it's safer the, the goals never quite have the same degree of spectacle or variety yeah, Pez certainly throws up a real mixture of 
thunderbolts, shin ins, headers, volleys, yeah. all sorts of, and it really is varied. And you've got to, really got to work for them. And on higher difficulty levels, you've really got to work. I'd for really it. like to see a world where Pez is the be- is undeniably the best game again. I really want to see that world. I remember that, like you know, it was always the way. Back in the day, you'd be like, you know what? FIFA's a fanny's game. Pez is the Pez is the real <laughs> Pez is the real game. You know, Pez is the real football game. I'd love to see that world again, where people are just like. Yeah, all right, FIFA has the licenses, but Pez has the game. I'd like to see that come around again. It'd be nice to see something come back like that, but it's not going to happen this year because FIFA sold four and a half million four copies and a half million in copies five in a days. Week. <sighs> yeah. It's unbelievable. I think there's a legitimate case to make for FIFA being the biggest selling game of the year, full stop. Mm. Now, it, it might I, well be. Call of Duty is the only one, I think, with a realistic challenge. Yeah. And, you know, hey, we always say the heat's gone out of the Call of Duty franchise and then it sells a billion oh, it copies. Hasn't. It hasn't. But... Let's just see this year. Let's see if it is the Leviathan it's always been. Because FIFA's on the up and up and up and up. That's the crazy thing. This year, more than any other year, you look at the tweets and people are... Like someone pointed out, he said, I was just went into the Bath branch of Game Station. He said, I think there's, there's like an entire school in here buying FIFA. The queue was, the queue was like going all the way around the mm. shop. Because the kids knocked off school at 3.30. They went straight to buy their copy of FIFA. More than any other year, it feels like... FIFA's huge. And the funny thing is, this is an off year for FIFA. Because, you know, they always do one year on, one year off with FIFA. They have one year of big changes and one year of sort of consolidation. So, like, FIFA 13 will be a good version of FIFA 12. But FIFA 14 will be something a little bit new. Yeah. And then FIFA 15 will be a good version of that. Yeah. So they'll experiment in the off year, in the the, um, even years, and address all of the problems their experiments caused in the odd years. So this is like the more solid game this year, but it's not the more radical game. That's next year, that was last year. And it'll, it'll keep doing that over and over again. So it's funny that it should be this time that more than ever, like FIFA's always a big deal, but more than ever, everyone seems to be going bananas for it this year. It seems, it seems to be, like, I'm not sure if something has happened in the world of football, if something's happened in the world of video games, but something's happened because it's really caught people's imagination. It's, it's a bit of both. Sorry, it's, it's a little bit of both, isn't it? What it's crossed the line from is, is just pure video game to almost like a social phenomenon. Yeah. Where mm. people, and this happens, the, the social dynamic effect on sort of, for example, the playground or in schools or even in universities is like a, a default language for hanging out and doing stuff together will be, see you later for a game of FIFA, yeah? Yeah. So if you're not in on that loop, you know, you've got to buy a copy, basically. And you can't yeah. go, hey, dude, what about, what about we play some Pez? Because they're all going to go, oh, no way, man, we all play FIFA. And again, amongst your friends, the cachet is he's the best FIFA player. Yeah. So there's no value in being, again, it's like now me being the world's greatest unicyclist or, uh, you know, baker of, baker of bread would be quite cool, actually. But just something that's like an, an arcane skill that no one appreciates. Yeah. So um, the, the other thing I've noticed a lot about FIFA this year is a lot of people talking about Ultimate Team. That's a lot bigger now. It's integrated in the game now, and it was last year as well. Mm. But I think that it caught people's imagination a couple of years ago, and it's just that it keeps getting stronger and stronger. It's a money yeah. factory for EA. Mm. It's, it's just make it's just a, you release this game, you sell it for forty quid, and then you just make people over and over again just spend another quid, another quid, another quid, unstoppable. How do you how do you compete with that? It's tough. It's like yeah, sure, FIFA sold four point five million copies, big deal. You know, they made a lot of money, great, but. For the next year, they'll still be making money. And what they did again was clever, as it fuses that thing of, of being a kid. It's almost like Panini stickers meets Top Trumps. Mm. 
Now, two other crazy playground social phenomenon, and they welded both onto what was already a really good, authentic football doesn't, game. Doesn't it track the Premiership players this year as well? Does it does it use Opta for that, or does it...? Yeah, do you know what? I, I haven't played it that much, so I really couldn't He's comment. a Pez man. What are you asking yeah. down for? You I see, this year... I just thought, I just thought they were the yeah. same. <laughs> but I've actually, I mean, to be completely fair, I've played the only, the smallest amount of FIFA this year, um, mm. because... It's hard to have both in your life at once because yeah. you, you get coded mm. in one type of oh, language. Yeah. I've got. I've only got room in my way. brain for one shooter, or one driving game, one fighting game, one RPG. At any mm. given moment, I can change, you know. Like, but I have to put one aside to replace it with another. Yeah. Do you think anyone's listening after all that sports chat? I hope so because I was gonna, I was hoping you would talk a little bit about Borderlands because oh, you love Borderlands. I haven't loved the game this much since Dark Souls last year. I just love it. What is it about Borderlands that you love so much? So Borderlands 1 was all right. It was fine. Borderlands 2 is Borderlands 1, but everything's barren. It looks grey now, this Borderlands 1, doesn't it? It looks really grey, If you look at the videos, it looks really sort of old. But then they designed that world with the brownest art style imaginable, and then they retrofitted this kind of cell shading over the top. yeah. Mm. So they ended up with a super brown, dull world. Well, in this game, they've actually designed the world around the art style. So mm. you've got these incredible, colourful environments. Environments are designed to look spectacular when cel-shaded. So it looks beautiful. But it's also the controls. The, it controls beautifully. Um, the high watermark for, like... It's, they call them acceleration curves. When you move the stick, how fast does your guy turn? Right. How fast does he look? Now, you'll notice when you play Deus Ex... It's a bit stiff when you look left and right. You all of a sudden lurch your head left, lurch your head right. But in Halo, you move the stick just a little bit and you'll start to turn and it'll start to accelerate gradually as you gently move the stick across. That's because the acceleration curves are different. If you draw a graph, you can draw a curve of how fast that camera's going to turn based on how far you move the stick, Mm. blah, blah, blah. Well, the high watermark for that used to be Halo. Now it's undeniably Borderlands 2. Those guys have got absolute perfect. You You just feel, when you move that stick, you can... You feel light and you feel like you're drifting around. When you jump, there's just the right amount of gravity in the world. When you fall, you feel like you're falling at just the right speed. That's perfect. The way the enemies fight you is perfect. They know exactly where they should be standing to fight you at any given moment. And the game's spawning just the right amount of them. You feel under a lot of pressure, but you don't feel like, oh, I'm just sick of just... Can they just stop spawning guys now? First game, they just throw skags at you for the entire first three, four hours of the game. They just keep pumping these guys out of just holes in the ground. It's not fun. And when you would fight humanoid enemies, they would just run at you and keep pulling the trigger. There's no contest there. Now, cover matters. You can hide behind stuff. You can really get... They'll hide behind stuff, and it becomes a real firefight. There's a real chess game being played. Another important thing, the level design actually facilitates that because every mission you go into, the missions are built around the world and the world are built around the missions together. They, they exist in the same place. It's not just like, here's a big empty world, let's stick some bad guys in it, we'll put a thing over here, you've got to go collect, there's your mission. It's not that. It'll be, okay, you've got to get into this base. When you get inside, it funnels you through a series of tunnels. You know, It funnels you around the mountain. And because of that, they can really stagger the encounters. Mm. So you've got this Call of Duty pacing, mission by mission. But you've got a massive RPG structure. You're always... Once you've done that mission, you'll work your way out of there. Another smart thing they do is they always give you a shortcut out, much like Dark Souls would. You know, They give you a... At the end of it, you can just jump yourself off a cliff and there's no fall damage. So you fought your way to the top of the mountain. Brilliant. You can just jump off and you're back into your next mission. So it's big time RPG structure, but with small missions which really feel like they've been designed for you and built for you to be exciting. And the best part, of course, is you can bring in your friends. 
play with three of you and the game becomes even better. And there's always this constant chase. You're always grabbing new loot. You're always discovering new things. Hey, check out my gun, guys. Look at this. This is ridiculous. You fire your gun, chuck it away to reload it, and it doesn't just get, chuck it away. It doesn't just go away. It takes off, starts flying around the area, shooting at people. You're like, where the hell did you find that gun? It's like, I don't know, I just picked it up. It just happened to be a, one of the guns in the game. Um, we found, a, we found a, I've got, at the moment, my main weapon is a shotgun, which shoots 18 rounds, which do 300 points of damage each. And they're really, really slow moving, but when they land, they explode. So I'm just shooting these big clouds of explosions at people. Like, this is, it's, it's so mad. It's always so mad. It's just constantly giving you mad stuff to play with. And the best part is you're playing with it with your friends. It's like, look at my new toy, guys. Oh, that's pretty cool, but look at my new toy. Everyone's got a new thing to show off. And everyone's teching up their character in a different way. So this guy's going, I've got the um, the sentry gun. You're like, brilliant. Well, what have you done with your sentry gun? Oh, I'll put missile launchers on it. I've got, I've got this, I've got that. And I've also I got I can reload faster because I perked that up. You're like, oh brilliant, well that sounds pretty good. But my my te- my sentry gun can be deployed onto a brick wall, isn't it? It can be upside down on the ceiling, and I can drop two of them. Oh, and by the way, they generate force fields, so I can actually just stand next to it and be protected while it's firing. There's so much variety in this game. Every mission is just so carefully designed. And guess what? It's even funny. Like, when was the last time you laughed at a game? This is actually a funny game. There's so many lines of dialogue, which on paper you just go, oh, it was a disaster. But the voice actors have nailed it. And then there's other lines where you're like, even on paper that would be funny. It's a, just a great, great game. Uh, our reviewer, Nathan Dyson, loved it. He thought it was great. He gave it 85. For me, I'd whack another 10% on top of that. I'm getting, I'm getting 95% worth of fun out of it. I'm, like I say, I haven't loved a game this much since Dark Souls. Mm. You I have some much. enthusiasm for the podcast. Have I played change. Borderlands too much? You haven't played it at all. Not right? at all. It hasn't passed the, the, my diss tray test of will I play <laughs> oh, it. It's yeah. not to say I, 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 I wouldn't ever play it. It's just that you kind of need people mm. to play with them. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I've played it, but most of the time I've been playing it, it's been like w- without other people. I've yeah. played it a few times with other people and. It's been it's been a bit of fun. I will say it does hold up better than the first game did on your own. Like mm. I've played a is I've played half of this game so far of a good twenty hours. I've played half of that entirely on my own, and the other half with my friends. I, th- I think you've got to, you've got to be a little bit careful with it because I think well, the first time I played it like online because my the I you know obviously you're always online and someone someone invaded my game and started like you can turn that off then yeah i know well this this was a learning curve for me they started grabbing all the swag yeah they just started grabbing all the swag and <laughs> and just like trying to push me on and i was That's there poor sort of, form i was i was trying to get get to grips with what was going on because it was reasonably early on and they were like oh come on let's do this because they were like a few levels higher than mm. i was and I was like, hang on, hang on a minute, hang on, just, just, just wait. Steady. And then, you know, you take it easy, friend. But, 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 but the, the 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 key moment came for me when they died, and I, it was during one of the sort of mini boss fights. And I, I, I was a lower level than him, but I finished off the boss anyway. And he appeared again, and freaking went and stole all the loot, bastard. And I was like, right, oh, oh sorry, I've got to go. Yeah, I've got to go. I've got to go. So you know, it made you run from your own game, bastard. So, so stop, stop the game, and then then went back. So on I've, I've been playing later. with Andy Kelly, uh, Alex Dale, and uh, Rich McCormick, one of our friends on PC Gamer. And what we'll do when we crack open a chest, it'll all gather around the chest and be like, "Ooh, it's like Christmas morning." It's like, what what we got in here? It's like, well, we got some decent pistols and it's a good sniper rifle there. It's like, well. Your your character Andy is specialising in sniper rifles, so you have that. Do you actually talk with headsets? Yeah, 
Yeah, well, you could, you kind of need it to coordinate. Mm. It's it, what's really cool about the game is the amount of firepower you can put forward when there's four of you playing, and they tech the guy, the bad guys up to sort of match how many of you there are coming in. So they'll throw bigger, badder dudes at you, and you get you the amount of destruction you can create in this game, and the amount of firepower that four players can put forward when there's you've got one guy at the back with a sniper rifle and he's reach out and levitating people into the air so that they can be picked off by everyone else. You've got me as the commando. I'm dropping a sentry gun. So it's not just that I've got one gun. I've actually got three guns because I've teched up to drop two sentry guns at once. So that's three massive guns all pumping out shots. You've got Andy with a sniper rifle levitating guys. You've got Rich McCormick as a gun zerker, which means he can fire two guns at once and is running around at high speed soaking up damage. And you've got Andy, you've got um, Alex Dale, who's also playing a commando. So he's dropping one turret, which has got, which has got um, a rocket launchers on it. And he's got a gun of his own. You look at a game where you've got like, you know, nine different guns all firing at bad guys at once. You just feel so badass in this game, man. You feel so powerful. But at the same time, as soon as the bad guys drop one of your party, not only do you lose one guy, you actually lose two guys because you've got to send in someone else to pick them up. So the other two guys then have to pick up all that slack all at once. So you've got this constant push-pull in the game. Mm. Uh, the game. All the gameplay loops in this game, gameplay loops is a horrible term, but it's what kind of games are built on these days. All the gameplay loops in that game are so precisely tuned, so precisely tweaked. It makes me wonder how Gearbox have made as many average games as they have and why they're working on the game, which is the decidedly average Aliens Colonial Marines, which looks like... It looks like a flat seven out of ten. It's got that vibe about it. It's you know, it's got that feel. You wonder how they've made just like the Brothers in Arms games, really, which were great fun games. But you know, you you put a seven at the end of the review. You look at these games and you think, how do they make these this many ordinary games when they can make one game that's so it demonstrates how well they understand shooters? Mm. I don't think I've seen a shooter this year or last year or even in the last five years that shows such an understanding of shooters. So they just know exactly what they're doing. Most shooters make mistakes. Borderlands 2 doesn't make any mistakes. Well, maybe Aliens Colonial Marines will surprise everyone. Maybe it'll be the Batman of the end of the generation. I really hope it is, man, because who doesn't want an amazing Aliens game? Yeah, exactly. But it's kind of, it's one of those games where every time it gets shown to us, you're like, oh, if only they'd done this thing. If only they'd done that. If only they'd done something else. And guess what? Maybe they will. Maybe yeah, they will. Maybe Let's hope so. they do. We'll be seeing it again fairly soon. Um, now... We'll quickly move on to the reader questions. And we've got quite a few decent reader questions. Uh, yeah. So we'll try and get through as many as we can. Uh, Mike, give us the first one. So here's a good question. Stuart Jester Shelley says... Uh, Jester. Jester. Will Microsoft charge for Xbox Live in the next generation, seeing as though Steam and PSN are free? Do you think they'll consider lowering the price? No. No. No, 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 because they've already got an entire generation of people who've proven they're prepared to no. pay for it. Same or higher. I reckon they might knock it up to 50. Higher? Yeah. They'd be, uh, take some balls to raise the price. Because I think the, the next, next Xbox is going to be more linked to, to online services, and I think they, they're going to feel like they're offering more by being this hub that links you to all the other online services, so I think they're going to charge maybe 50 quid. Well, not to be the talky guy on the podcast again, but... It is worth pointing out what your live account pays for. If you're a developer on Xbox Live, you're an indie developer, say, you're just mm. Joe Schmo. If you make a game for Xbox Live Arcade, you can have leaderboards in your game. And you can have online support. And you don't have to lay on servers yourself. You don't mm. have to pay for those yourself. On PSN, 
and Steam, you would have to provide those servers. And if you're some indie developer, that's that's a tricky thing to do. That's an expensive thing to do. Mm. But it's even an expensive thing to do for the big boys. Activision on PSN need to put on their own servers. On Xbox, Microsoft have got that covered. Your gold subscription is covering that. And it means they can't do certain bullshitty things. Like a few years into Metal Gear Online's life, Konami go, you know what, it's too expensive to run it anymore, it's just for to turn it off. It's Metal Gear Online, it's a big game, people still love it, but they can just turn it off. In Xbox land, you can't do that. They turned off the original Xbox servers like a good three, four years into the Xbox 360's life because they just kept them going. It's only when they were way below the usage threshold that they actually turned them off. But your live subscription was what kept those servers alive. It meant you could play Splinter Cell Pandora tomorrow, like, you know, eight, nine years after it was released. That's a, a special thing. That's a unique thing on Xbox. But still a lot of bloody money every month, man. That's all, that's all, that's all well and good, but it's not... I mean, obviously we know about it, but it's not a visible thing, is it? No. Um, you know, pe- Joe, Joe Schmo choosing between two consoles or a PC will say, well, PSN Plus is free. It's, it's not free. It's, it's the same price as Xbox but it Live. It offers a lot of value. And, and you, get, you get free games, and I get to play my games online anyway, even if I don't pay for it. So, Well, Dan, talk about just the um, PSN value, Plus subscription. It's like it's the amount of... That value you get from it. Some of the some the biggest games of the generation have been available to yeah. PSN Plus users, right? Well, yeah. I mean, there was a big noise at E3 where they, where they announced that PS Plus would contain lots of recent big hitters like Red Dead, Dead Space Two has been on Dead it, Space hasn't it? Two. Yeah, yeah. obviously there's been stuff like Little Big Planet, Infamous Two, Deus Ex. Lots of really good, credible games that you may or may not have bought, and you've got access at any time to what ten of them at least. Yeah. And they're good, they're good games that you really would play. You're paying for PS Plus, what, I think it was a reduced rate over the summer of £30 or twenty nine ninety nine for the year. Yeah. To get every a, a constantly recycling rotor of excellent games, that's without the, the sort of nice but not essential services like the cloud saving and the automatic uh, updates, those sort of things. They're all pretty cool. Yeah. Um, also, they're expanding it so that now your PS Plus account extends to your PlayStation Vita so you get the same privileges on a Vita. They're trying to make it an all-encompassing service. At the EG Expo, they were giving away PS Plus accounts free. They did the same with journalists at E3. Mm. And this this actually feeds back into the Xbox Live stuff. Sony are trying to get people into the mindset of subscribing for a PlayStation, for, mm. for, for subscribing to for the privilege of owning a PlayStation. What the guy who's asked the question raises a point indirectly is that you may end up getting xbox live free but you actually pay monthly just for the privilege of having an xbox yeah because it might become a stage Mm. that you know like we probably talked about previously you might pay less for your next xbox but like your skybox you might pay 100 you might this is all hypothetical you might pay 100 pound for your next xbox something you might pay you might pay 10 15 pounds a month every month just for the privilege of having the the xbox service yeah now and which which live would be a part of it as with all the other things Xbox does. And I think Sony absolutely want to go that way. It's partially the reason that Sony acquired the Gakai cloud streaming service. Mm. It's because that would be something you could subscribe to. And, you know, the dream for them would be to, to build a Spotify for games. Yeah. So you could pay so much money a month and you get the PlayStation channel. Microsoft need to have more visible value on their gold subscription. I don't think anybody would resent their gold subscription. Mm. at 35, 39.99 a year. 
which by the way you can get cheaper if you but if you buy yeah, vouchers you buy the cards and, and whatnot, yeah. uh, I don't think anyone would resent that subscription if you would get a game every month yeah and that's and that's, you see you see you hear that and you think that's absurd no one would do that but Sony are doing it right now mm. they are doing that they are giving people a game mm. every month if you had just come into this generation at this point you hadn't owned a console in your life and you decided I'm going to buy myself a PlayStation 3 if you bought yourself a PlayStation 3 and a PS Plus subscription, you wouldn't need to buy another game ever again. Mm. You would have enough games to last you weeks, months, and every month you just get another new game. And it'll be a good game. Sure, it started off with Infamous, but since then they've had Red Dead, they've had Deus Ex, Dead Space 2, he's one of the best games mm. of the generation. Bullet Storm's you know? coming out this month. Bullet Storm. Bullet yeah, Storm. it's amazing really, isn't yeah, it? Bullet Storm's a yeah. fantastic, underplayed, brilliant game. And this, these are what they're putting into people's hands. That's something Microsoft need to do. It's about visible value. Remember a few mm. years ago, it used to be you could download demos from Xbox Live. Of course, nobody really does demos these days because they're so expensive yeah. to make. But then they changed it so that gold subscribers would get to download it a week earlier than silver subscribers. Except, of course, nobody saw it that way. Mm. You know, it wasn't that gold members were getting it a week early. It was that silver members were getting it a week late. Microsoft doesn't seem to understand this. It doesn't seem to understand what value is, the people's perception of value. They think, oh yeah, you know, if you subscribe to Xbox Live, you get to play, you get to use Netflix. Well, brilliant! You can use Netflix right away on PS3, and you don't have to play the gold subscription. You still and you pay got, for Netflix. You still pay for Netflix. Yeah. That's the thing with um with Live. How can they keep charging for Live when Love Film, Netflix, and all these other services are things you subscribe to anyway? You know what will make it worth owning a gold subscription? No ads. Yeah, that'd be nice. No ads. Because the PlayStation dashboard has no ads anyway. Yeah. And I yeah. have to pay a diddly squat to get that. You're paying uh, 40 quid and your dashboard is using your bandwidth to sell you sh- other stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, it's, that's, chewing that's up, my, it's chewing up my, in this, in this country as well, limited broadband uh, mm. allowance to show me adverts for BT Infinity. To show me adverts for new movies. Like, ironically, I've got BT Infinity and it's telling me I need to buy BT Infinity. I've got it. I've got it. Yeah. Anyhow, let, let's go on to the next question. Well, <laughs> here we go. Jason White asks, I play, FIFA, oh, I play FIFA way too much, which prevents me from trying other games, like Borderlands 2. <laughs> Are there any games you can't put down? Games that get in the way of you playing games that you'd like to play? You sort of covered this, I think. Like, for me... I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it again, but it's NBA. It's NBA, yeah. For me, it's Borderlands 2. <laughs> I want, really want to play Dishonored right now, but I'm playing Borderlands 2. Last year, <laughs> well, no, sorry, I could say last year. Like, like my mind's going in cycles. Like the year is now beginning because it's September because decent games are coming out. It's October. Yeah. Um, this this year, I've only really had, I've only really played Skyrim and NBA 2K12, and I had a I had a break when Mass Effect came out, and then. You sort of dip into other games, bit of the Darkness Two, for instance. Yeah, well, I played that at work, so I reviewed it. Yeah, and that uh, that doesn't count. That's like that's not that's not real life. That's that's, that's me just playing it at work. Um, I, I suspect it's the same with Pez for you, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's you know, like Highlander. There can be only one, and when you've got a very finite time, there's a one game I can be into, and at the moment it's Pez because I can switch it on, and whatever happens in that half hour to an hour I've got I'm going to enjoy two or three games Mm. if I've been playing actually like you Andy playing Dishonored and whilst it's clearly going to develop into a good game my experience thus far hasn't been sending me to bed that gratified because I'm at the absolute baby slopes of it Mm. you know so as a snap bite every night I'm not getting the fun I would get from just playing more PES do you you sit there thinking 
I really, really, really should play Dishonored because everyone said it's really great. Really should play it. Oh, but I fancy a game of Pez. You know you're going to have fun. It feels quite cosy, doesn't it? You know you're going to have fun. It's like half half an hour of of cosy gaming. I mean, to expand it out, the actual hierarchy in my mind is, do I, A, just read things on the internet on my iPad, B, play Football Manager on my iPad, because using the iPad's a lot easier than firing up a console, C, is do I wait those really, you know, grating extra 30 seconds to load pairs or D, do I go the full hog and play Dishonored? <laughs> yeah. You touched on something quite interesting there. That's a big thing for the next generation. No loading times. You need to get rid of that shit. Yeah. Mm. It's, t- it's, takes, it's too much effort to load up a console these days. It is. It, and it is, it's going to kill the consoles that exist. But we you know, now expect instant. We know this from our contacts in the industry that Microsoft's big, one of Microsoft's big gimmicks for the next Xbox is going to be a system which is always on. You never, it has no off switch. It's always on, and it's how you'll watch your television. So you'll say Xbox, BBC Two, and it'll go to BBC Two, and then you'll say Xbox, uh, Fable, and it will just skip to Fable. I doubt anyone's going to be saying that. <laughs> maybe there's going to be a Fable MMO, which brings everybody in. Yeah, maybe, I know, speculatively, I'm maybe yeah. Lionhead might be working on a Fable MMO. So you say Fable, yeah, Xbox, Fable, yeah. Fable Online. And it just goes, boom, straight into it. And there's your character standing on the screen, ready to go. That's the kind of dream, that's Microsoft's dream for the next generation. That It would be as simple as turning the channel on your TV. You wouldn't have to load it up. It would just be waiting for you. Yeah, I think and that's you great. Go, you go Xbox, yeah. Halo, and it just goes, and all of a sudden you go, you're going Xbox, Channel 4, and you're sitting there watching a documentary about the people taking ecstasy on Channel 4, and you're halfway through you go, oh, this is a bit obnoxious actually, let's, let's, play, a, let's play a game. Xbox, Halo 5. And it goes oh, oh, oh instantly. Like that's what that's what they want. Can they do it? Let's find out. Who knows? Let's give it a year and see. Let's have, let's have another one. Hmm. Strong question answering. This is good. This is a good question, I think. It's a nice nostalgic question. And it's, it's actually two questions together. I'm gonna smush them together into one really super fun. question and combine their powers. Do you think they'll mind? Yeah, it'll be alright. Okay. John Davo Gilbert asks. Does anybody on this much strong cast team have any university degrees? If so, what are they? And I know Dan's got an interesting story with this one. Uh, I'm assuming it would be journalism, he said. Nothing could be further from the truth. But this also goes into a um, Marlon uh, Aaron Sibia's question. I hope I got your name right. Uh, are there any particular writers or magazines that inspire you to become a games journal? And do you have an all-time favourite games mag? So let's tackle the university part of that first. Andy. Yes. Journalistic uh, degree, presumably. No. 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 Degree in English. Degree in English, yep. literature or language? Uh, it was just English. But okay. Mainly, obviously, pretty, when you, pretty it's, easy. It's that, studying that your whole really, life, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Right. All, uh, that was uh, yeah. Excellent. Dan, presumably journalistic degree, right? I've got a postgrad diploma in magazine journalism, a postgrad diploma in marketing. I'm a member of the Chartered Institute of Marketing, and <laughs> I've got a degree in economics and marketing. There you go. Yeah. Mine's in, uh, mine was in film and sociology because I, I thought I would either be a cameraman or a sociology teacher. Yeah. Look at me now. Surprisingly, anyways, we all have degrees. Yeah. Not that you'd know it by reading the magazine. No. No. <laughs> I said yes. But is there anything which made you um, any particular magazine which drew you to this business or any writer? Um, I don't think there was, you know. I, uh, it came from university. I just, I just wanted to to work in print i wanted to write about things 
um, whatever interested me and I happened to be interested in games and music and I happened to get my first job writing about games as opposed to writing about music. Like, um, I, I originally went to university to do law. Uh, like That's what I applied for and I got in, I got accepted and... Um, First first week I turned up and as you do you're at university you know the fresh you know, you go all the freshest events because they give you free shit and mm-hmm. you know you get a key ring that opens bottles and stuff nice. like that belt buckle that yeah. opens bottles or like a pencil case that opens bottles yeah or a, or a notepad that opens bottles yeah and uh, one of, one of the things I got I, I went to the university newspaper meeting with uh, with one of my friends they said oh come on let's go for a laugh and I was like okay and um, yeah the the music guys were there with a massive stack of CDs and they yeah. said. Right, who wants to do some music reviews for us? And one of them gave me a Pearl Jam CD. So basically, so you're doing what you do because it it was a laugh. Yeah. Someone said, let's go and do this. It'll be a laugh. And you had your entire career to that moment. Someone gave me something for free. I went away and wrote about it. It got printed and I thought, hey, I could do that. So I I stopped doing law after a year and started doing English. Did that for three years. And... And because, yeah, I know. I, I could have been a. You could have been I passed so rich my first there. year as lot of law so as well. Rich. You could have been I, cruising I past us in law. your Beamer right now. I could, could have, be, yeah. You could have not have had to take bungs for games reviews because you'd have been rich anyway. Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. Tell you what, there's a lot of bungs in this business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, the hat I'm wearing a hat made literally of money right now. It's what I did Sit economics so I could, I could keep track of all the bungs I'm taking. <laughs> Rackets, not true in the slightest. No. But, I mean, there's, been, there's, there's been a lot of accusations this week, though. Yeah. So, it's, been, it's been one of those so, weeks, isn't it? Some of the it's times sad we week. sit around think, thinking, oh, God, I wish someone would give us 100 quid to give, like, a 100 game quid? Of... You're cheap. No, well, you know what I'm saying. The thing is, it's like, if so someone once comes to you and says, That's not true, just tell you what, Dishonored's really good, isn't it, Michael? Yeah, I quite like Dishonored. It's like, Here's a cheeky grant to give Dishonored a good review. You're like, well, I was going to give it anyway, so my pocket and spend <laughs> so it on I mean, sweets and yeah. pop. Actually, it's me, so guns and drugs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think there was anyone, anyone right who, who inspired me. It was, it was basically free stuff that inspired me. Free stuff. Free stuff and having a laugh. For me, it was uh, undeniably your Sinclair magazine followed by Superplay magazine. I still remember reading those thinking this would be a brilliant crack. And probably the writer would be Matt Bilby who's actually still in the business to this day mm. uh, because he mm. launched all of the magazines I loved. Like he was the guy who launched Superplay. He was around on your, I, my first exposure to him was on your Sinclair. Uh, it wasn't necessarily that I was wildly inspired by his writing or anything. It was just that he was this permanent presence and ridiculously prolific. Like even editing those magazines, he'd just be pounding out content. So it was kind of, it was, it was a succession of his magazines, Amiga Power, Superplay. I think he even launched Arcade, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are. My, I went from I went from one Matt Bilby publication to another to another to another purely by accident. I mean, I was I was young enough that I wasn't even really aware of it. It, it was I was like following this guy around the industry. But I guess I kind of ended up doing exactly that. Mm. Yeah, but, I mean, for, purely for games magazines. Like, I had a Spectrum like aged eleven, and similar to you, I was really into like your Sinclair Sinclair user, yeah, all those kind of mags, and then. I got back into the mags around about the Mega Drive time. So I used to read Mega. Um, the, when I look back, it was kind of terrible at the time I loved it. Mean Machines was the cool one, wasn't it? Mean Machines Sega was the cool one. Yeah. And Mega was the slightly less cool one. Yeah, Mega was the future one. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but I, I did dig it. And then I also got, I was really into CVG in that era when Paul Davis used to do it. He was a very smart man. And what he did was... Well, a lot of the bags did at the time. They transplanted a lot of the Japanese games mags 
into British mags at a time when none of us had the internet and could call them out. Yeah. So it was really good. So they had all this information. You went, oh my goodness, this is they unbelievable. Were the gatekeepers, right? Yeah. They were absolutely the gatekeepers. That's that why they sold a billion magazines and it was the only source of information. I hear stories from back in the day at Future about like the copy of Famitsu would come in and the art ads would literally just have to go through it and like basically take the screenshots from old mags, you know, because that was the only way you get access to mm. this Japanese information. Well, you couldn't just lift it off and save it. No. You know, it was... It wasn't, it wasn't available in any digital it, form. Cut it out and scan it yeah. would be the answer then. Apparently, like, you, back then, you would get, like, you would go to a trade show, you'd get your press pack, and it would literally be a selection of hard copy photos from the game, hard copy screens from the game. Mm. You know, really? that's you, you're talking, like, it's the way film stills were done until even mm. quite recently. Like, these days, it's all digital. But I remember as recently as, like, 1990... No, sorry, as, like, 99... 2001, uh, working at a movie theatre and giving out press packs to the press when they would come up for a premiere. And it would be, or not a premiere as much as a review screening, and it would be a hard copy stills, which would then be returned to the office and just scanned into the thing. It's like, how else would they have done it? They wouldn't be giving it away on a burned CD back in 1993 or 94. Nobody had a CD drive in their machine. Crazy times, man. The way way business was done back then. Mm. I don't even know. Like you say, it was just a a monopoly market and... A lot of the lot, the world's changed so immeasurably. I think people were someone was saying to me the other day from the olden days, they used to take screenshots. Cam Wynn Stanley was telling me, um, you take these take screenshots with taking a photo, so a dark like room a and a tripod on the screen. And so taking spectrum screenshots would mm. be like the dark art because most games in motion looked absolutely awful and the photographs would be terrible. So one in however many shots would be usable and still look awful. Yeah, you've got because you can't take a picture of a TV because it's all interlacing, isn't it? So, so yeah, you have yeah. to you have to match the interlacing speed as well and stuff. Wow. Apparently you have, you have to have like a, a camera that's built I think it was. That. And there was like filters on them and all sorts of mad things just to make it work. Yeah. Tell you what, we, we sound like proper babies nowadays. We're going, oh, well... I want to put a screenshot in that spot there, but oh, he's, he's got his back to me, and oh, I can't really use that. Well, yeah, if I want screenshots yeah, in the game... I can't I'll do, really I'll just, see what he's shooting. Oh, if I want dear. screenshots of a specific moment in a game, what I'll do is I'll just re- record the whole thing in high-definition video, which is captured straight from the HDMI socket, mm. and then just run it back, pick the exact moment I want it to snap, just go click, done. And then I send a digital copy of, onto the server, send it across to MILF, and MILF puts it on the page. Three seconds later, the pair of things ready to go, you know? Well, I don't know about three seconds. The world we live in, <laughs> the world that we live in is insane. It yeah. really, it genuinely is insane. You look at how easy, how easy it is for us to do what we're doing. You talk to, you talk to readers and they often, they often ask, you know, how do I be a games journalist? So we're just going to do it. Just go be a games journalist right now. Set up your own YouTube channel. Mm. Get yourself a hundred quid HD capture card for your PC, capture video and talk to people about it. Show them how you play, show them the things you like and just do it. You want to take screenshots? Fine. Just buy, play, the, play, the Steam, play the PC game. Hit F12 on Steam over and over again. Take nice lots of screenshots. Write about the game you just played. You don't need early access to games. You don't need incredibly expensive equipment. You just need enthusiasm and a decent mm. bit of talent, a decent bit of writing talent or talking talent. Even that's good enough now. You don't need to. If, if you can't write, talk. If you can't talk, write. You don't need to be. We're coming here. We're not the gatekeepers anymore. Like we work hard. We know what we're talking about and we're enthusiastic, but you can do what we're doing from the comfort of your own home. You haven't got our access, but you have got our enthusiasm, you know? I don't want to sound like Grandpa Joe, but I probably will, but is everyone aware of the Syndicate project? No. And, and the, well, exactly. I wasn't that aware of him, right? He talks over 
a lot of different games videos, including Minecraft. He does it quite famously. And he was at the EGX. So the Syndicate Project is a man. He's a man, mm. right? And now he was at, quite a young man, and he was at the EG Expo. And one of our colleagues on OXM said it must, he said the, the fervour amongst the public must have been like almost like a pop star or like the olden days of CBG where the journalists were superstars. Guys get this dude, who, who I honestly hadn't ever heard of, then I go on his YouTube channel and what, he only gets 400,000 views a video. Yeah. That's the world. Yeah. That's how much access he needed to, you know, yeah. certain things to make himself insanely popular. This, this is a guy who had no real, presumably no real special magic access. He had nothing which would like... Now he probably gets magic access. Yeah, probably do. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not going to pretend to know, but the only three videos I watched were him making jokes over vi- Minecraft videos. I'm not going <laughs> to, this isn't aimed at the Syndicate Project, by the yeah. way, but there's a lot of bullshit on YouTube. There's a lot of people saying a whole lot of nothing and getting a lot of hits for it. Yeah, exactly that. And, and for a lot of people, that's all they want. They just want some jokes over the games they've played. Yeah. That's all we should do. That's what we're doing right now, really. Just no jokes. Well, just no jokes. <laughs> and, and, and no serious, serious talk about games. Yeah. yeah. Do you think? Do you think ten years from now, people are going to sort of be discussing it on their hollow cast and saying, "Oh yeah, I remember Mike Gaffer. He's the reason that I got into games." I thought I just, I've, I've just inspired, wanted to be. You're, a, you're saying have I inspired a new generation? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, yeah. Genuinely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I have. Good. No, I haven't. Oh. No, I've inspired. No, 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 I definitely have. I inspired one man who works at Future now. To come to the future, one man. I inspired a guy. I think I, I uh, who was a guy who came up to me at an event. I won't say what outlet he works for. It was an online outlet. He was like, "You're a Michael Gapper, aren't you?" I was like, "Yeah," expecting the knife to come any second. You know, <laughs> you're like, "You're Michael Gapper, aren't you?" I was like, "Yeah, burning hell." Gapper pulls gun, mm. uh, uh, runs the guy hunted like a dog <laughs> through the street. You overscored. That game 10 years ago. You didn't like Too Human and now I've come to, to take my revenge, Dennis Dyack. Um No, and he came, he came out to me and he said, like, he said, I really like, really like your stuff. He said, if, uh, if it, was, it was, you know, reading your stuff that made me think I could do it as well. And I was like, was that because my stuff was so shit? He, he said, <laughs> I gave hope to you all. Hope to, you set the bar really low and I felt I could raise it. No, he was, he, was a nice, he was a nice man. He said, so maybe there's like one, I don't know, if I, if... I, I don't necessarily want to personally inspire anyone to, to get into this business because we don't make a lot of money and I would like everyone listening to this right now to make lots more money than I do. So, if anyone now is studying law and thinking of swapping, yeah. I'd advise them not Stop. to. Stop. <laughs> Go and be a lawyer. I, I don't know. I had, I had more fun not being yeah, a lawyer. You probably did. Last question. And it's a simple one, but it's a big one. What do you guys personally want from the next generation? That's from Andy Monaghan. What do you demand from a next-gen console? Maximum graphics oddity, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start because it's fairly obvious. I want graphics that make my mind cook like they're being heated by microwaves. I'm not joking. <laughs> I want the graphics to look unbelievable. And I don't care if I'm playing the most ridiculously, like, you know, blob-to-blob shooter. Yeah. I just want the graphics to sizzle. <laughs> then the gameplay can come second. What I absolutely <laughs> want is like Mike touched on, no loading times. I want the insta-go. I want to be straight in there and enjoying myself. Um, and I, that's my big wishes. I want menus to be good. I want like all those things about navigation and menus and all the fiddledy You know what? Stuff. That's something, even at this point in the generation, still people haven't mastered. It's st- but menus, UI still baffles game designers. Like, 
how can and I was going to say Apple get it so right, but often they don't because iTunes is a piece of shit. But the iOS is actually like a re- so unbelievably slick. Yeah. You see it, you touch it. It's just like it's a big button for the internet. It's a big button for it's so intuitive, so natural mm. that you can put it in the hands of an 80-year-old woman. I've actually done this. I gave my nan my iPad and she was able to like look at photographs on it with ease. They get it so right. And even a game I love, Borderlands 2 gets it so wrong. The UI is so bad. The menus are so bad. It's like it's the one thing we didn't crack this generation. Tech, we cracked it. Look how good games look now, you know? Game design, we cracked it. Games, generally speaking, aren't bad anymore. Nobody releases bad games. There's only all right games and great games. Like, we've cracked it, but we haven't cracked UI design. It's been like it's a constant Mm. sticking point. But I will add just quickly, I want the death of the current status quo of the models i don't want to be queuing up for a 40 pound experience that required 300 men as a result it was ultra conservative and Mm. approved by committee i would like a radical shake-up of the distribution and pricing structures that means that somebody who's smart and clever could get into a team of 20 men execute something relatively easy using really accessible development tools and translate his vision to me and put it online at a price that's really affordable and I can download it at a speed that doesn't drive me insane. I'd like all those things. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, you know, there's my moon wishes. They're right yeah. there. Yeah, that's, those, those aren't unreasonable wishes, though. They aren't, they aren't extraordinary. They're not beyond the pale. That's all attainable stuff. When you're talking about a generation that's going to last until 2020, oh man, you're talking so old. You're talking. You're talking about a generation that. Look how far we came. This generation. At the start of this generation there wasn't even an iPod. Mm. Uh, sorry, an iPhone. By the end of next generation, if we don't that's have crazy. if we don't have full perfect virtual reality, I'll be amazed. We've already got it now. Oculus Rift. It's amazing. This is what I want for the next generation. I want virtual reality. I don't want to play Halo 6 on my TV. I want to play it with my eyeballs on it with a, th- a helmet that I clamp on my head. And I want to be able to play that game and be absolutely on that big ring in space. I want to be there. I want to look around and I want to be like, I'm here. And guess what? That technology is already perfect. You put on Oculus Rift, you're playing Doom 3, you look over an edge and you get your whole body lurches and you think, God, I better not fall. That's how convincing it mm. is. Give me that. Give me that on every single first-person game. So I'm talking driving games, I'm talking shooters. Obviously, it's not going to work for a Gears of War, but you know, maybe Gears of War evolves into something else when the technology is that good and that gripping. Let me put it this way. After using Oculus Rift in John Carmack's little scary mm. booth at E3... I never want to play another shooter any other way again. That's how good it is. I want virtual reality, and it is coming. This is the generation we do virtual reality. By 2020, I'll be surprised if it's not a standard feature with with the current games consoles. I'll be surprised if it's not a. I'll be surprised if it's not as common as an iPad is right now. And that's to say, you know, iPad isn't ubiquitous, but it is very common. And I would see VR being at that point by 2020. I don't think in the fullness of time that history is going to judge this generation that kindly. I think as good as so much thing, so much stuff has been, I think all we've really learned or added is connectivity and online community. Like we've got that yeah. more or less right this generation. Mm. But in terms of the games we play, they're not that much different to PS2 or Xbox. Well, you know, really. a lot of credit might go to Wii, but don't you think like Microsoft and Sony both got it wrong? They gave the world a console that the world kind of didn't want. They backed the absolutely the wrong horse this generation. When you look at what Apple did a couple of years afterwards, 
Apple proved overnight that that's what people want. They want a ma- just a massive hose pipe, just spraying them in the face with games all day long at a low price on a m- massively accessible gadget. It's just so simple to use; anyone could use it. It's like I the kinds of games I like to play. I want to play on a 360. I want to play on a controller, but that's not what everyone else wants. I'm in the minority now, and so are you, and so are you. We're in the minority now, and most probably most of the people listening to this podcast, we're in a minority now. But at the same time, you can't make a FIFA without a controller. You can. It's rubbish. It exists, well, but it's, it's rubbish. Selfishly, I, I think that, that games as we know them should continue to be like something more than you can do on, you know, just simply. I, I don't necessarily want the hosepipe. I want the the quality stuff and I don't think they should change that for the next generation maybe as Dan said they should change the sort of model to give us because at the moment you've got you've got like a Dishonored which is a game it's a yeah, proper a game. game it's a, a gaming monolith yeah. and then you've got Angry it's Birds gamey mechanics we've got Angry Birds which is like not a game which you flick in about on your iPhone there's very little in between and we started to bridge that gap this generation but you probably see a sort of greater gradation and I think the other thing I'd probably add to what you guys have said um, because I, I agree with all of it, basically that that sort of stuff would be cracking. Um, I would really like um, to be able to take my game anywhere with me, and I know people say you can do that now. It's like they say, "Oh yeah, take your game away on Vita." You can't do that. Realistically, you can't do it. But I'd, I'd like to, you know, have different aspects of my game invading different aspects of my life. You know, at my own choice. I don't, mm. you know. So, so I want to. You know, I, I want to sort of manage my team on my phone when I'm not playing NBA and, you know, for other games to be simmed in the background and for me to go, oh, yeah, well, maybe I'll just sign that player or something like that and then just put it in my pocket and go away and, you know, when I get home, play a couple of games and then, you know, I don't know, fiddle around with it when I've got five minutes and stuff like that. I think maybe purely selfishly, again, it feeds into the fact that because I'm older now, I don't have time to sit and play games for hours. You know, I, I get an hour maybe and then... You know, I can I can have a little play with a game in the five minutes and I'm waiting for a kettle to boil or something like that. Warren Spector says something really interesting about the sort of the divide between iOS games and mobile games and consoles. Mm. He said consoles have done lots of casual games and done them very well. But iPad, iOS, mobile hasn't done a story-driven, compelling AAA game. Mm-mm. Like, you know, you, with a big console, you can do anything. But with this small device... And he said, like, he would like to be the first guy to do that game. He said, he said there isn't a game yet which tells a story where you make important choices and it's got really gamey mechanics. And it's like, it's like a Deus Ex, you know, for that, machi- for that handheld. Mm. So mm. that game doesn't exist. He said, I'd love to be the first person to do it because I don't know how to do it. Mm. He said, I don't know what that game looks like. I don't know what I would have to do. And this interview should be going up on CVG in a, a couple of weeks' time. Uh... This is an interview I did with him a while back. He said, you know, I'd, lo- I'd love to make that game, but I, even I don't know what it looks like yet. And no one does. Mm. Is it even possible on that device? We don't know, but we know it's damn sure possible on a proper console. So, you know, that's, that's a challenge for developers of the future. Isn't mm. it? it's, a, it's a massive challenge because there's only going to be more digital, digital like mobile devices in the marketplace. Yeah, it's going to get to the point where away. the PC on your desktop, the console under your TV just goes away and you own one device and it's going to be 
yeah. a little black rectangle that you take everywhere. And guess what? Well, it's, it's, it's as powerful as a next-gen Xbox is anyway. Or, is, or are you going to be wearing glasses that projects all your digital information onto reality? I just want to upload my brain into the Matrix. Yeah, that's where it's all going. Yeah. Eventually. Maybe we've already done it once and we're just playing meta games within the Matrix. So, so anyway. That's that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that. And... Uh, so you know, I, I was going to say we just finished a magazine. It's it's on sale seventeenth of October. It's very very antiquated. It's still printed on paper. I know. And um, like fe- features pictures of games that you can't interact with in any way, uh, which is why we do have an iPad you version as well. You can interact with a digital version. Though, you can right? interact with a digital version. Um, yeah, an expanded cosplay corner it, in a digital version. It, it doesn't get as much love as I think it deserves. Um, so. You know, when you're picking up, when you're listening to this podcast, and maybe it's the 17th of October, you think, "Oh, I might go and pick up Xbox World." Just have a little look on the App Store. Yeah, first. we've heard from uh, you guys that we're getting harder and harder to find on newsagent shelves. Well, if you've got a digital device, your problems are solved. Mm. Get it there, you actually get the magazine, and you get a lot of extra features with that magazine yeah. too. It's worth pointing out that if you've got an iPhone or an iPad, all you yeah. need to do is, is download the app, which takes like 30 seconds or yeah, something. Yeah, it's not very big. Then you basically get to preview the entire brand new issue for free, all 116 pages in a little gallery. So you can even look before you dive in and spend your whopping £2.50, which is what your first issue is. And it's embedded with video, uh, podcast, archi- yes. podcast archive yeah, and all this great stuff. stuff like it's that. free to look at all 116 pages and you can see it all. You can't quite read it, otherwise we'd really be in trouble. Well, you can yeah. see the scores on the review. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> but you can, you can see it all. So like as, as a pure shot for nothing... I implore you, take a look. It's fantastic. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's enough of that. Plug-in. When we get closer to the time that issues out, we'll do another podcast, I'm sure. And that's yeah, when I will not? complain about my why trip not? to Japan. Oh, God, you've been waiting to unleash that Listen, one. let me tell you, my friend, the trip you and I take to the, our infamous trip to Edmonton. Yeah. Japan's got it beat. So that's something to look forward to next time. Uh, thanks for listening. See you later. Bye. Cheerio. 